0: Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick.
1: And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Bishop Timothy Fryer. Bishop, welcome to our program once again. Thank you, Rick. It's always a pleasure to be with you. It is always a pleasure to have you here as well, so thank you very much for coming in. Bishop, as we always do, before we get started doing anything else, if you would be so kind as to lead us in a brief word of prayer, I'm sure our listening audience would be very thankful. Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father,
2: we thank you for the many blessings that you give to us, the gift of our life, which each second comes through your love and care and compassion for us, the gift of family and friends who are dear to us, the gift of our faith, which continues to give us hope despite whatever challenges we may experience, and the gift of this opportunity to be together, to share our faith, to grow in prayer and love of you. We ask that you send your Holy Spirit upon us, that everything we say and everything that is heard may be in accordance with your will. We ask this through Christ our Lord.
1: Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, you work with Bishop Van. When you are engaged in all of the stuff that you do, you're usually doing a lot of official things, administrative things. People don't think about that, I think, as much as really happens for bishops. That's a true statement, isn't it? Sure, sure. So you have to divide that all up, and you've got all sorts of things you're doing. Today, I'm hoping we're going to be able to relax a little bit, because we've gone through Lent and... We are engaging now in Easter and what it is to experience Jesus Christ as our risen Lord and Savior. One of the things that I've engaged in my studies has been in the early church, how tremendous the focus was on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything else that he did was all important, his curing people, his miracles that he worked and, and prophecies that he fulfilled. But it was Jesus Lord, and he resurrected from the dead. That was the mantra, so to speak. That was it. How important would you say is it that the resurrection was a part of God's plan with this Christ event? If you follow what I'm saying here, because Jesus could have just come. He could have come in any way he chose to, but he chose to come to live, to die, and then resurrect. Why is that so important? It's a great question. So...
2: If Jesus had been born of Mary, like us in all things but sin, and was a fantastic teacher, and healed people, and expelled demons, for many of the people, he would just be one of a long series of great prophets, witnesses to what would be the upcoming Messiah. And so it's through his death and resurrection that he manifests truly that he is God, that he is raised from the dead and therefore gives us the promise of eternal life that even the raising of Lazarus you know Lazarus still ended up dying again you know it's yeah. not a you know without that resurrection promise of eternal life we would be you know just bones in the grave as Ezekiel speaks of waiting for the day of the Lord but this is when the gates of heaven flew open for the first time so it's the pivotal moment of our salvation is this death
1: and resurrection of Christ, so when we 're going through Lent and we come through Holy Week and we, we then are focused on this resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, and we're sitting there, say on silent Saturday on the Saturday before, and we're anticipating the people that were there at the time they weren't sure, were they? I mean if we 're being without reading too much into it, if we're being without maligning them at all. The fact that they had trouble believing the resurrection, they really weren't sure, doesn't it? Yes. So what do you think Jesus meant to them prior to his resurrection? And how do you think that must have changed for them when they first saw the burial shroud and then later encountered the resurrected Christ? How did that change, do you think, for them? I think...
2: Initially, they had hopes that he was the Messiah, even though their vision of what a Messiah would be was not what Jesus was. Their vision was a strong ruler, a mighty ruler, a military ruler, a rich person, and Jesus does not fulfill any of those preconceived ideas of a Messiah.
1: Did not check any of those boxes, no.
2: (laughs) No, no, And, and yet they still had hope as they got to see him, witness the miracles, hear the teaching that he could be the Messiah. but. It wasn't until the resurrection that they were able to truly believe that this was Christ, this was the one to be the Savior of the world. Look at, in John's Gospel, the Easter Sunday account of the apostles in the upper room. They were in the upper room for out of fear, fear that what had happened to Jesus may happen to them. When I pray over that scripture passage, I see them filled with fear. I also see them filled with regret, because with the exception of John, they all in one form or another abandoned Jesus. They did disillusioned that we spent three lives, three years of our life on this project and it died on Good Friday and he wasn't the Messiah, and what do we do now? And do we just go back to our old way of life? And all of that changed only because the risen Christ appeared
1: in their midst. We would have had Simon Peter's fish and chips or something yes, like that. Yes. Instead of having, of course, what happened. So on that that silent Saturday and the before they actually discovered the empty tomb they had been changed by his words. They had seen that he had done all these things, kind of like what he warns the disciples of of John the Baptist when they come calling on him and ask, are you the one yes. or should we look for another? And he says, what do you see? Right. There's a part of me that has to ask the question, was the resurrection necessary for them to see it or not? I I guess I'd have to, to, to answer my own question by saying, it had to be or we wouldn't have had it but are we really that much in need of that kind of a of a reassurance i guess i go back to how did we how did we discover the gospels the very first thing we have is the resurrection account but then mark comes first it's mostly a history and it's a uh, a miracle set of miracle, miracle stories. stories we then have someone who brought in the, the stump speech someone had been keeping yes. notes and so we get matthew and, and, and luke with all of the sayings that get added in Because those were very, very important. That was also why he came. Right. So he didn't just come for the resurrection. He came for all of that as well. They had all of that. Yet there's something that is tremendously even, dare say, more important about the resurrection, isn't there?
2: Yes. Yeah. All of the other, the miracles, the stories, the teaching, the way he explained how he was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the transfiguration, uh, all of that was all important and was leading them to, to a stronger
1: belief in faith. But, again, without the resurrection, where would our salvation be? And it raises an interesting question. He resurrected from the dead, and yet he didn't go to the top of the temple and show himself to everybody and say, I am he, worship me. Why do you think he he didn't right away demonstrate to the world that he is the risen Messiah? Say so the day of, of Easter, why do you think he didn't do that?
2: I think part of it is, and we, we see him say this a number of different times, you know, you're only chasing me because of the signs and wonders or because your belly is being filled by the miraculous multiplication of, wow. of meals. You want a bread that, king. Yes. Yeah. And, and he wanted true faith in him, not faith because he's the newest miracle worker or, you know, okay, his miracle is greater than the others. Look, he's up on top of the temple and he's got this glorified body. Wow. He's, he wants true conversion of heart. I think
1: this is the interesting thing. I guess when I, I talk to oh someone like uh, Father Spitzer, for example, when he talks about the shroud of Turin, you know, he's t- absolutely totally sold on the science behind the shroud of Turin. But I'm old enough to remember back when we were all gung ho about the shroud of Turin until that carbon-14 dating came right. in, and now we know that the carbon-14 dating was tremendously flawed. Right, and in fact, we're finding out more and more about the shroud that's that makes it all the more fascinating so that it 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 very well may have been a photograph of jesus but yet there's still enough if in there to keep it a faith issue it's almost as if i'm willing to let you have tantalizing clues that say it's reasonable to believe in me but you still got to take the leap of faith yeah and and
2: i think as frustrating as it sometimes is that if God provided such a preponderance of evidence that there's no other way for us to believe or believe anything else than Jesus was God, then God, in effect, has taken away our free will. And God is so, so respectful of our free will that he would never want to push us to the point where we really can't freely choose to believe. And I know sometimes I wish God wouldn't give certain people free will because I want them to do what I want.
1: Uh, but I've got I've got uh, teenage and twenty year old children. I understand this. Yes, yes. But that's the great love of the Father is that He
2: could Jesus could have given us such a preponderance of evidence that any person in the right mind would say, "Of course, Jesus is Christ," and there's no debate. But then, are we truly freely choosing to believe, or are we just being pushed into it? And I think that's where. The Father is so respectful of of us that here's God who could do anything, and he keeps humbling himself before
1: us. It's just mind-boggling at times that he would have such humility. It, it is interesting to take a look. When, when I talk to people who are on the border about their faith or have never really accepted the faith, and we talk about some of the intellectual things like prophecies or looking at Matthew and trying to say, okay, what's he referring to? How is it possible for so much to be fulfilled in one person. When we talk about the Shroud of Trim, we talk about all these different things. In the end, but it comes down to what's if God does exist, and most of the people I talk to believe in some sort of an amorphic God-like figure, much like, frankly, the, the ancient Greeks and Romans believed, wouldn't he love human beings enough to want a relationship with him? And if he's so different from us, wouldn't he want to come as one of us? Right. Doesn't that make sense? But that's not something you can prove from a resurrection, is it? No. no. So the resurrection account is absolutely important. But as you're pointing out, it's not necessarily something that God is going to prove to us. We still have to take that leap of faith. Yes.
2: And, And He's in his great mercy, he's given us other miraculous physical signs. You know, we have the tilma of Our Lady of Guadalupe that scientifically we can't explain pretty much anything about that image and the fact that it still exists and on that type of fabric and with those paints that didn't exist. If,
1: or, you're, if you're listening out there, by the way, look up the eyes for the yes, <laughs> for lady yes. of, of Guadalupe. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, that. Or, or the blood of St. Januarius
2: that, you know, liquefies on his feast day. Yeah. The Lord has yeah. given us all the Eucharistic miracles that the Lord has given us. He gives us these things, inspiring us to take that leap of faith, But it's never so much that we can't say, well, let me think about it a little bit more.
1: It it comes down to there there are no shotgun weddings in heaven. You either freely choose to to love Christ or not. And in the end, kind of like that Indiana Jones scene where he has to take that leap of faith and stick that foot out and and decide he's going to do it. Uh, It's not a bad image. (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, We're asked to still take that leap of faith. We're talking to Bishop Timothy Fryer from the Diocese of Orange. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and you're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. When we come back, Bishop, I'd like us to do a little application, if I can. We're in Eastern. We've been talking a little bit about why the necessity of Jesus. I want to ask, especially during this season where it's been so hard with all the COVID stuff and everything else, all the dying, all the sickness, why this is so important to us, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, Bishop Timothy Fire. We'll be right back.
0: Reflections from Father Al Baca, Director for Evangelization and Faith Formation in the Diocese of Orange, California. Here's a brief clip from Father Al's guest appearance on Empowered by the Spirit with Deacon Steve Greco. I love what Mother Teresa says. She says, we are called to be faithful. We are not called to be successful. It is Jesus that gives us the success. Right. <laughs> she told me that. I met her once. And, oh, wow. And she said that to me. So that <laughs> really resonates with me. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Tell us more about that. That was uh, back when I was a seminarian for the Diocese of Orange. And she came to Long Beach to do a prayer, a, a rosary rally. Wow. And it was packed, of course. And she talked about abortion and life. And it was beautiful and having confidence in, in the mother of God. And afterwards, the seminarians, we had a, a moment to come in and just say hello to her. And uh, she gave us a, a miraculous medal, each one. And when she put the medal in my hand, she said, remember, you're not called to be famous, you're called to be faithful. Yeah. And, I, and I've always remembered that, too. It's, it's wonderful advice. For more, go to OCCatholic.com. That's OCCatholic.com. We need Catholic radio because we need the voice of the church in the public forum. We live in a time that the secular voice dominates so thoroughly that we need to get that Catholic perspective out. Just as Fulton Sheen used radio and TV in the last century, we need to continue to use this means to announce the Catholic faith in the public forum. Bishop Robert Barron thinks Catholic radio is important. So should you.
1: Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Bishop Timothy Fryer, and we have been talking during the first section about the necessity of Jesus Christ. If you missed that, you need to go back and listen to it, because it's really was a great discussion on why Jesus needed to come, needed to resurrect, yet still needs us to, to take an act of faith in order for us to embrace God more completely. It's good for us. Yes. have that faith. But I want to ask from a a personal perspective, why is the resurrection important to us personally, individually? I realize it's important for the church to demonstrate Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Why is resurrection so important to us right now? First off, I think
2: that's what can give us hope, that if we know that, as St. Paul says in his letter to the Romans, that it is in baptism that we died with Christ, so that then at the end of our earthly life, we are able to rise with him without his resurrection. What chance do we have of being resurrected? What chance do we have of eternal life? So whether it's, you know, an illness or a strained relationship or uh, trouble at work or whatever to know that one day my suffering would end because Jesus has risen from the dead for me, there's always great hope that there is something far better waiting for me because Jesus rose from the dead and has opened For me, if I choose the promise of salvation.
1: I look at um, the entire scheme of salvation history sometimes, and we've had some wonderful dialogue in the church, which a lot of people are not aware of, and I I realize that. But we've had some wonderful theologians over the last 50 years or so that have been out. Uh, I can remember back in the 80s and 90s, the discussion between Avery Dulles and uh, Baltazar about the nature of there being a hell or not. Yes. And how both of them were given the red hat to become cardinals at the same time. Baltazar dies like a few days before he could be be given that honor. Dulles, of course, becomes a cardinal before he dies. But the discussion was not on is there a hell, but is there anyone actually there because of the mercy of God? Yeah. And the whole point behind the discussion was not that there there isn't recompense, but that there's an afterlife. Yes and that that afterlife is a real thing i was looking at the the uh, statement by archbishop gomez and it was a a letter a cautionary letter that came out that talked about uh, some of the the needs of our church in this era now that we're into a different administration and it reminds us to be diligent that some of the priorities are going to change, but Catholics are neither liberal or conservative. They're always though looking for truth and that we should never lose sight of the fact that every human being has the dignity of the creation of God and an eternal nature. Yes. An eternal nature given to them by God. That, yes. that's a different way of thinking about human beings than say a secular or humanist or, or an atheist who doesn't believe in there being an afterlife. Right. Just the way that Christians look at human beings seems to be far more hopeful yes. than any other way of thinking. Right, and, and as
2: I am grateful that God has given me the promise of eternal life, I know that the way in which I treat you is the way in which I'm also showing to the Lord I wish to be able to take advantage of this eternal life in heaven, that I see you not as an enemy or a threat, or somebody to be conquered or belittled, but you're my brother or sister in Christ, and I have to be willing to lay down my life for you. I have to, as Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. I'm called to serve you and to manifest that love of Christ to you so that, God willing, we're both one day in in heaven. You know The last judgment, what's the criteria that Jesus used? I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me sick, and you... Visit me in prison, etc. If we got, if that's our final exam and we got the questions already in advance. I love that analogy. To, yeah, <laughs> it, it seems to me that the Lord is saying this promise of eternal life given to us through the resurrection of Christ isn't just a given, but rather we freely assent to it by the many decisions that we make during the course of a day as we relate to the Lord himself in prayer, as we use our time in prayer, as we use our gifts and talents, and as we are serving one another and viewing one another not as the enemy but as the brother and sister, which is not easy at times, but it's our call as Christians.
1: When I am involved with some of my colleagues at the university, I I note that some of them are secular or are atheist. And in the back of my mind, when I'm listening to them, I have to remind myself, they're not necessarily using the terms, the words they're using the same way I would use those words. And when they talk about human beings, they're talking about someone who exists as a bunch of cells that are actively animated by whatever electrical currents are still going on between us, that eventually when those electrical currents shut off and we take our last breath, we cease to exist. And the nature of our existence has always just been a bunch of protoplasms or a bunch of just stuff. Right. And that's a a whole different way of looking at at the world. It certainly makes sense if you look at it from an atheistic perspective as to why they would want to limit pain. Right. Because they have nothing beyond pleasure or pain as ultimate reality. And this is the world where you get your rewards, so we want to make sure that we make a heaven here on earth. So there's a big emphasis on that. There's a whole different way of looking at the world when we're looking at it through a resurrection reality, Jesus resurrected from the dead, we have the ability to be with God forever, and you, the person I'm talking to, whoever you might be, you're also a resurrection person, and I'm praying to God, I'm going to do everything I can to drag you kicking and screaming to heaven with me. Yes, That's a whole different way of looking at who we are as people. Right. And as Christians, when we're looking at our world around us, there's so many things that are going on that are awful. I mean, Belarus right now has horrible things going on. Uh, there's terrible things going on in China with the Uyghurs and all of the problems we have with, uh, immigration and, and stress at the border. In the end though, what we're looking at is not just this life. Right. We're looking at each one of the people around us as you are my brother and sister. Yes. And when we're looking at this life, it isn't just about this life. In fact, our, Main goal isn't really this physical life, though it's part of it. And as you were describing, Rick, you know those
2: atheists or those secular humanists. If I had that frame of reference, I would find myself incredibly depressed because yes. I would just be overwhelmed by the problems of the world. You you mentioned just that, you know three of dozens that that exist at any given moment, and and then you add the personal problems and the challenges and like. Is this all there is? You know, yes, this world is good. Yes, it's beautiful. There's a beautiful sunset, et cetera. But if in the end, this is it, I just think I'd be depressed. I don't know if I'd get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> no.
1: Or I would be a hedonist and try not to think about it. I'd right. retire at 45 and with as many toys as possible. Right. And as much money as I possibly could. Right. Instead of looking forward to a long career into 75, 80. Although, what's your mandatory retirement? Seventy five. Seventy five. Okay. Well the the Pope doesn't have to retire this, so we'll right. still hold out yes, hope for you.
2: Yes. And with that, if that's all there is and you wanted to be a hedonist, who would care about living to be seventy five or eighty? You know, wouldn't you just go wild and if you die at thirty, you die young? And I think that as as there's been an increase in secular humanism or lack of faith in society, you notice as that's increased over the years that the mental health has yeah. decreased, yeah. suicides have increased, chemical alcohol abuse. That mindset is, without the resurrection of Christ, it makes perfect sense why people are more depressed, more sad, you know, more isolated, and, and committing suicide. It, it's, it just shows again that faith in Christ brings us that hope that permeates everything
1: that we're doing and experiencing in our life. I was reading an article not long ago about, um, how Certain forms of psychology can almost become like a, a mythical religion for some sure. people. And th- this is not in any way to denigrate the the really truly great value of psychology and psychiatry. But there are some people who will sometimes turn to self-help or, or feel-good philosophies, which haven't really helped us. No. Our society is worse and worse, not better and better, despite the fact that we have far more of these books out there, right. far more practitioners out there far more people that are trying to help from a secular perspective in those helping professions, all of which are important. But if you take away that supernatural Jesus Christ came to demonstrate that we're all children of God with an eternal soul and we are going to engage that one way or the other in the afterlife, yes. the world is so much less. Right,
2: and And the whole concept of redemptive suffering... You know, when I'm able to take my suffering and unite it to the cross of Christ for my salvation, for the salvation of those who are near to me, or whatever intention, all of a sudden that
1: suffering loses power. I remember looking at John Paul II, and he had, of course, talked in one of his major encyclicals uh, about the value of suffering, and then he goes through the end of his life in such a dramatic suffering. And... Just being at the window, barely not able to talk drooling and yet willing to show people that there's value in human life and there's value in the people who care for those lives right. that if I were a secular humanist, I would almost say that's an evil, yes, but from a Christian perspective, far from it, we are able to better identify with the sufferings of other humans and in the end also therefore the sufferings of jesus christ himself on the cross
2: yes and there were a number of people that were saying you know he, should he sh- john paul should resign you know he should resign he needs to go and be you know put away someplace you know and the story is told that john paul was aware of that and said no i need to model how to die gracefully and naturally because he saw the threat against the elderly and the infirm and he wanted to show that there's dignity and there's great value in that redemptive suffering so he Freely choose, chose to what some would say humiliate himself, but I would well, say humble himself.
1: Humbled, humiliate. He did. He was willing to do that. And we go back to, so for what cause, for what value? If you're, if you don't believe that there's anything beyond this, then there was no value in it. And it was a waste of time and a waste of suffering. He should have had euthanasia done to him a long time ago. Right. But if there is a life after this death, and if Jesus Christ really rose from the grave, and if we hold to that, we are given the promise that God will be faithful and resurrect us as well. Yes. And if we have loved, even at the last moment. That's something that people forget. You can be a last moment saint. Yes. It's harder in some ways. Because what are the odds? You know, be careful of yeah. the odds. But look at the good thief on Good Friday. Absolutely. Perfect example. He stole heaven, as they yes. say. So when we're looking at the resurrection itself of Jesus Christ at Easter, we're looking at living a life that truly reframes how we see our fellow human, how we see the meaning of life, how we see what our goals are, how we see what it is to be successful. All of a sudden, it's not he who dies with the most toys wins. Yes, exactly. It's about how do we change everything and yet find far more meaning. We are talking with Bishop Timothy Fryer, who is talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ this Easter season, and we have been talking in the first section about why Jesus needed to resurrect. This last few minutes, we've been talking about the, the nature of what it means that we live a different life. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more from a practical perspective. There are so many people who have suffered recently. What does the resurrection mean for those who are grieving, those who are sick, and those who are dying? You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio, and we will be right back. Creating powerful moments on Orange County Catholic Radio. Here's host Rick Howick. I can tell you a, a story about a, a guy who was at a parish I used to attend back in Hemet. His name was Jerry. Jerry was confined to a wheelchair. He was in his 80s. He couldn't talk anymore. He was a Baptist who had been married to his wife who was Catholic, and they had an agreement that he would take her and the children to the Catholic Mass, and then he would go on Wednesday nights to a Bible study for the Baptists. And Jerry had been going for years, and I saw him there sitting in the wheelchair, and he looked like he was enjoying himself while he was there. And I went up to him. And I asked Jerry, I said, hey, Jerry, you're a Baptist. Do you like being here with all of us doing this whole mm-hmm. Catholic Eucharist thing? And he nodded his head enthusiastically and smiled at me. And I said, well, Jerry, if you ever want to become a Catholic, let me know. And he <laughs> nodded his head. Mm-hmm. And I said, Jerry, just, are you saying you'd like to become a Catholic? Mm-hmm. And he nodded his head and began to cry. And I looked at his wife, who looked at me with these shocked eyes. I said, have you ever asked him? I said, not in years. And she came back with him the next week and signed me up as his sponsor and he wanted to go through an abbreviated version Mm -hmm. of RCIA. A couple of weeks later, he was brought into the Roman Catholic Church and he died about three months after that as a a Catholic. Mm -hmm. Now, from my perspective, he may not have ever come to that without going through the suffering he went Mm -hmm. through, the silence that he dealt with, the confinement he had in his wheelchair, and yet the love, because he was now dependent This most independent man Mm -hmm. who was going to provide for his family now had been dependent for years on his wife and on the good people around him. He was dependent. And that changed his life at the end. Mm -hmm. Why would we want to short-circuit that?
0: For more, go to OCCatholic.com. That's OCCatholic.com. Or visit the
1: Diocese of Orange Facebook page. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope where Catholic faith is crystal clear, and especially so today. We have Bishop Timothy Fryer with us, and we are talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have been talking about it from both a theological perspective and from a, a, a lived reality. I want to talk a little bit more about what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means to us personally. There are a lot of people out there who are not Christian who are listening. There are a lot of people who are former Catholics who are listening. And yet this is a time when a lot of people are paying attention because we've had so much death and so much sickness and so much fear and grieving. What have you seen? You're you're a bishop, and so you're very involved with administration, but you're also involved with the people. I know that you've taken very seriously the call by the Holy Father early on to be involved with the sheep so that you're so close you smell like them. Not that you smell like yes. sheep, Father, but yes. <laughs> that you're involved with, with the, your, your uh, parishioners. You're involved with the people of the diocese. Yeah. You go out on sick calls from time to time. Tell me, what have you seen? How has resurrection impacted the lives of those around you? Yeah, yeah And I,
2: as, as you mentioned, I, I still do sick calls. I'm on call uh, Sunday nights for one of our hospitals to do that. I'm still a police chaplain, so I was on call for them all all last week to go out to Catholics, non-Catholics, whoever needs it at, at that moment of death. But I was called to go pray with a family. The man had just died. He was Catholic. The wife was not. And I just started praying the prayers that one would pray and get to the 23rd Psalm. And this woman who was just devastated stops, and she said, how did you know that was my favorite Bible verse? You know, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I there's nothing him. I shall want. Fresh and green are the pastures where he gives me repose. He spreads a banquet before me in the sight of my enemies. My cup overflows. And I said, I had no idea. And she said, but but you had to have known. And I said, I have, I've never met you. I have no idea. I said, that's how the Lord works. And God did. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and that, that 23rd Psalm, which, gives us all of these imageries of what heaven will be is what was able to console her. That it wasn't anything I did other than pray the 23rd Psalm and we didn't get to the rest of the prayers because she was so wanting to talk about that in faith and that that's what could help her through that dark moment of just seeing her husband die was knowing that one day she could be with him at that heavenly banquet. That's the resurrection. That's how... I've seen over and over again I've in January I think every patient I saw was COVID, you know, and COVID is a
1: horrible way to die. Yes. And the way that we've had to deal with it has been a very lonely way to die for most of
2: them. Yes. And and talking with, you know, the ones that are able to talk that were on a ventilator, you know, and just the labored, you know, discussions, just it's so hard to even with the oxygen to get a few words out. But the consolation that comes to know that Christ died for them in this moment, knowing everything that they had done up until that point that they were going to go to confession or receive the anointing or both, that the Lord died and rose for me. And and you could just see their eyes start to get a glimmer of hope because frequently seeing patients who are in the hospital with COVID, other patients, yes, sad, depressed, wanting to get out as quickly as possible, but there's a level of fear that... I don't know if I'm going to make it out of this hospital that's there with COVID. And as we start speaking of the Lord's love manifest in Christ, his death, and resurrection, you know, the tears are flowing. The sense of hope is restored. And I've just found, you know, especially this, this year of, of the pandemic, that people are hungering for that hope that, that only comes through Christ and only become kind because he rose from the dead. I've, Spoken with other priests as well, who said that people are just hungering for something to hold on to. Maybe they haven't had COVID. Maybe their family members haven't, but they've lost their job, or, or they're feeling like they're under house arrest because they're afraid to go out. Especially a lot of our elderly folks. Yes, and there's that hunger. Help me to get through this. Help me to to know that I have something to look forward to. And it's not about going out to eat again, or it's not about going to Disneyland. There's a hunger of something greater on social media on my, especially on my Instagram account, which is where the more younger crowd hang out. A lot of them have reached out to me through, you know, private messaging or whatever, just asking questions because I think it's the first time some of these people in their twenties realize that they could die. And so they're asking, how do I come back to church? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? What really happens at the Mass? What really happens after we die?
1: Well, see, in talking to a bishop, sorry, but you're the real deal. Yes. So (laughs) if you're going to ask a question, you're going to hope for the answer. Right. And a lot of these kids, I I think, and this is something that I've I've noted teaching for a while, they've been sanitized from death. Yes. If you look back a 100 years ago, so your your grandparents perhaps, they would have seen dead people. They would have seen people who were, who were, had died at home a lot instead of in the hospital, which means they would be in the bed and people would come and say goodbye. Yeah. And they, they would touch the, the corpse so they would feel what a, a, a cold body feels like. Right. And they would be experienced. The, and yeah. we don't see this anymore where it's almost like it's been sanitized. It's been relegated to the movies where it's unreal. Right. And yet everyone kind of you push reset and it all comes back in the video game. And, and that's not real life. And all of a sudden, this last year and a half or so, we've been front and center to death. And it's been in our, in our face. And young people may not be the ones who are doing most of the dying, but they're watching their parents and grandparents die. Yes. And they're scared to death. My mom's 85. She just got her second shot and I'm thankful to God for, for the Pfizer shot. And she and I, we had the discussion about the morality yes. of the different issues going on there. But, before she got inoculated, her grandchildren all wanted to come down. And we had to, to tell some of them, no, because you haven't been, you know, isolated enough to be able to do this. Right. Wait till, till we're done. And I said, like, but, 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 but no, no, no. The reality is she could die. And they've never really con- confronted that before.
2: Yeah. I remember when I was in college, you may well have read as well, um, Evelyn Waugh's book, The Loved One. You know, that great satirical piece, I <laughs> think based actually on on um, one of the large funeral mortuary uh, cemetery chains here in Southern California, but the way that he was shocked coming from England, the way that we were masking death, yeah. Uh, yeah. the phraseology that we use. Nobody dies, they pass on or they they transition. You know, it used to be, as you mentioned, you know, they die in the bed. Well, then the vigil and the rosary, they'd be in the living room yeah. you know, for a couple of days. We've lost that. As you say, it's sanitized or it's you know so unrealistic in, in artistic portrayals that people now are starting to realize, I may die. And more importantly, what's left? Well, we know
1: the sting of death is no longer because of Christ. The sting of death, the, the permanent sting of death is no longer. Yes. You know, I was talking to, I have a, a, a my oldest daughter's 24 23, 24, I have to go back and look. But she has chronic head pain. She's had that since she was a sophomore in high school and has been out of school since then. It's really debilitating for her. And so she's been home most of that time on the couch. And I remember when we were going around Thanksgiving, we were saying one of the things that we're thankful for, it's one of the traditions we do at home, and before we have we finish our prayer, we all have said something. And she said something that shocked everyone, including we had some people that were on, on Zoom for our dinner <laughs> I'm thankful for COVID. And everyone's eyes, what? What what do you, no, no, not, not the death part. My family's been home. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm around them all again. And it dawned on me that, well, that, that's, that's been a, a golden or a silver lining for her. God works with us and God teaches us and God uses, he chastises us and teaches us. Chastisement is not meant to be, quote, punishment so much as it is a teaching tool. Yes. Maybe we needed to be reminded of death. I, I, I don't want to use that crassly, and I don't want to just reduce it to that. But one of the things that comes out of this is going to be, I think, a, a new reminder to people who haven't been reminded in a long time of the reality of death. Yes, and and that there's more to
2: this life than than the present moment. And so how do we start living as citizens of that heavenly homeland, and how do we start Focusing our priorities based upon that. When Jesus, you know, is preparing for for his death and resurrection and is preparing the apostles, you know, one of the things I've thought about is if I was told I had two weeks to live, what would I do different these two weeks? Who would I call and maybe apologize to? Who would I call and say, sorry, I haven't reached out to you for a while? How would I change the way I'm relating to other people? How would my prayer life be different? shouldn't that be how I'm framing every day
1: if if I'm really striving to be that citizen of heavenly homeland? And there has been a real life lesson in this yes. that for people, I remember listening to Patrick Madrid on the show and he was saying, he, he was talking once about a family and he was shaken by his story. He normally will be very kind of glib in what he talks mm-hmm. about, but he was saying, I said hello to this person on Sunday and I got a call Tuesday that he was dead, uh, that he came down with COVID Sunday night and he went in, Monday morning and by Tuesday he was dying. And this is that's been the reality for COVID. It's it's been unfortunately the mostly the reality for people who are over 65 and 70, but this young man was in his 50s. Right. And those of us in our 50s who are have comorbidities like being overweight or whatever it might be, we've had to really look again at what if I only have a, a, a I better get back to confession quick. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes. And, and for younger people, it may not be COVID. It may be you're walking down the street and you're hit by a drunk driver. It may be that you're on a skateboard and you fall off and crack your head. You know, we, we see all of those types of, of deaths too. So, you know, it's a reminder to us that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have a great promise waiting for us. The question is, do we want to take advantage of it? Do we wish to accept it? And if so, what are we going to do to, demonstrate to the Father that, yes, I would like to receive this great gift of salvation.
1: Because that really comes down to, okay, how do I take advantage of it, which is kind of where I want to go when we come back. But it's like, as you put, Matthew 25, that final exam question, when I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was thirsty, did you give me a drink? It's not about, did you have faith in me? That's not the question. He doesn't ever ask that. He never asked, did you have the correct faith or did Yeah, he doesn't even ask the good things that you did that might have been holy in preparing yourself. Like, how many rosaries did you do, or how many, how many, how much Eucharist did you take? Once you had all that and all that preparation, did you just grow fat on it, or did you do something with it? Did you feed those who were hungry? Did you help those who were in need? It's about faith and follow through. Yes, he came not to just give a mental idea. He came to be a real, living, breathing human being, and he really resurrected from the dead. It wasn't just a a mirage. I know that there are some theologies that were very popular in the 70s and 80s about those kinds of Thankfully, those days have passed. Yes, they have. There's some people who, I think, anyway. But Jesus really rose from the dead. And he's really waiting for us to embrace that resurrection as well. So, Bishop, when we come back, what I'd like to do is to talk about, okay, how are we to respond? We've got this resurrected Jesus standing in front of us. And I think some of us who've, who've grown up as Christians, we've almost been inoculated to what it really means. And I, I think we need to reexamine examine that. When we come back, I'm going to ask you that question. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Bishop Timothy Fryer from the Diocese of Orange. And when we come back, we're going to continue discussion about the resurrected Jesus.
0: Here's a word of reflection from Christ's Cathedral organist and host of Sounds from the Sanctuary, David Ball. In St. Louis, there used to be these sort of clubs for Eucharistic adoration. It was really people watching the church all night. Each person would take an hour with the Blessed Sacrament exposed. My parents, we, we used to do this a couple times, and so I remember going to St. Gabriel, the Archangel in South St. Louis. It would be one in the morning, and you'd knock on the door, and the one person who was scheduled for that would come out, look through a little peephole, let you in, and then you'd lock your in the church for an hour of stillness and meditation and prayer and whatever. And as a kid, it was interesting. It just introduced the idea of stillness to me at a young age. Catch Sounds from the Sanctuary Saturday nights at 10 on Relevant Radio or find the podcast at OCCatholic.com. You heard Deacon Steve lately? From the very beginning of our country, the Declaration of Independence, we talked about a right to life. The first thing that we have in the preamble, you know, the Declaration of Independence, is we have the right to life.
1: Hey, <laughs> is that interesting? One.
0: The most American thing we can do is supporting life. Catch Empowered by the Spirit with Deacon
1: Steve Greco, Sundays at 12 noon, right here on Relevant Radio. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Bishop Timothy Fryer. And before we do anything else, and before I forget later on in the show, I want to thank you again, Bishop, for coming and for being with us. You have come many times to talk about a number of different things, often of a pastoral nature or why we have to shut down the diocese, not shut it down, but why we had to curtail a lot of what we did in order for us to be safer and all sorts of things that are not as pleasant. I have had a very good time just talking about Jesus Christ and what it means to be resurrected. Thank you for letting me have that. Thank you for letting our audience have that. Thank you for coming. It's my pleasure. And,
2: and how could you not enjoy talking about Jesus Christ? <laughs> I mean, that it's been a pleasure for me as well. I mean, this is always great. It's good news. And so t- talking about good news is always energizing to me.
1: We're going to leave you with an upper for your next yes. meeting wherever you go to yes. after this. With that in mind, we have been talking about the theology of Jesus. We've talked about the lived reality of Jesus. We've talked about people who you've encountered who've had to contemplate the resurrected Jesus in their lives, especially when they're grieving or when they are thinking about death. Let's assume for a moment that some people who are listening are all of a sudden really asking the question and answering the question, I do believe in Jesus. I do believe he resurrected from the dead. Now what? (laughs) If this were the year 34 and you were just hearing this for the first time in in Ephesus, Turkey, what should you do? First off, I think that you hear it for the first time and you come to believe it, which is
2: wonderful. But the caution is it's not a mental exercise. It's not a body of intellectual work to memorize. It's a relationship with a person of Jesus Christ. So I think the most important thing is to Yes, believe and then continue to build that relationship with Jesus Christ, which happens through prayer. Any form of prayer a person chooses. You know, it's to me, it's like a couple who's madly in love. Where do you want to go to dinner? And what's the response? I don't care. I just want to be with you. You know, the Lord is madly in love with us. He doesn't care if you're reading the Bible, if you're praying the Rosary, if you're just telling about your day. But to make sure that you're having that personal time with Jesus, that's the first step. And I've told people, put it in your calendar as if it's an appointment with the reminder that goes off a few minutes before because <laughs> habits aren't always yeah. easy to start. And, you know, the best intentions are great, but practically when, where, and how will you, you're going to pray, put that in first. Find that place to pray where you're least distracted. There's always going to be distractions. Realize that you could turn your phone off for 15 minutes and the world won't come crashing down and then build up to a half hour or an hour. Uh, so I think... First off is always remembering that it's not a body of knowledge. There are a lot of people that have no faith that know far more than I do about theology, but it's about the faith which comes from the relationship with Jesus Christ through that, that prayer, through that attendance of, of Mass weekly or or every day or a few days a week if possible. It's receiving God's manifest love in the Sermon of Confession or Penance or Reconciliation. So I think that's first is to keep ourselves focused in that relationship because Without Christ, I can do nothing. And so I need to keep building that relationship, knowing that ultimately it's God's grace that I'm able to to even ask for the grace to to grow in relationship with him. But then once I do that, the next step, I think, is what you've received as a gift, give as a gift. So the next step that the Lord would ask of me is to share my faith with other people. I don't have to browbeat them, but if somebody comes to me on Monday at work, Hey, how was your weekend? It was really good, you know. I was at mass yesterday, and when the priest said this, it, it really struck my heart. Subtle, but you are opening the door to a conversation. If you ask a person, "Hey, how was your weekend?" Oh, it was really bad, you know. I just had a terrible fight with with my family yet last night. I am really sorry, you know. Would you like to pray for your family that God give you peace right now? Again, just subtle ways, and then as those relationships are built. And trust is built. Then I think we begin the conversations about theology and relationship. But you know, to be inviting people to mass with you, being inviting people to pray with you, I think that that's what the Lord is expecting. He commissioned the church to be witnesses to go out. It wasn't to just be, "Oh, you've seen me risen from the dead." You know, just go ahead and glory in that for the rest of your lives. No, the call was through Pentecost, especially go out and and
1: bring this good news to everybody. You know, it's always struck me as when we were talking in the very first, um, 15 minutes of this show, I, I brought up that he didn't at the resurrection on the, on Easter day go to the top of the temple and tell everyone, I have resurrected from the dead. Here I am. And one of the things that we're reminded of when Paul starts writing and talking about the body of Christ, the body of Christ, chapter 12 of Romans or chapter 12 of first Corinthians. Or Ephesians chapter four, that you're the, you know, the sinews behind that body. The body of Christ isn't just the church coming by. It's a reminder that you're a representative of Christ to the people around you. So as you just said, one of the things, Jesus will fill you now, fill others with what's been given you. Yes. Because collectively, we are that body of Christ. And for a very good set of reasons, Jesus didn't want to be the one to go out there and tell everyone. He wanted to empower the human beings he, that God created. He wanted to empower them to go out, to be transformed, to love, and to spread that love both in what they do and what they say. And I think that for a variety
2: of reasons, we've been too timid in speaking as individuals and, and as, a, as a body, as a Catholic Thank church. you for saying that. We have been almost too tamed. Yes, and I think we need to rediscover our voice. Because if I really love a person, what do I want for them? I want them to be in heaven. Yeah. And so, what benefit it does does it for that person if instead of speaking faith to them and helping them to see the error of their ways or helping to see how they can more fully live as Christ would ask, that I'm just a nice guy, and and I choose not to engage that. I'm the worst type of friend there is because I'm just letting them wallow in what could lead to condemnation. So. To be willing to speak up, have some resistance, but even then, sometimes that resistance is a sign that they're going to go back and reflect and think about it later. But Jesus was not crucified for being a nice guy. (laughs) Jesus loved (laughs) the people so much he was willing to have some pretty heated discussions. Yes, he was. Because he loved them and he wanted salvation for them. And if we're following Jesus, should we not also sometimes risk getting some people a little bit irritated? We don't have to be obnoxious, I'm not saying that, no. or browbeat, but we need to be speaking more strongly about our faith in the public square.
1: We have a number of, of issues that have developed over the last several years that I don't want to go into great detail right now, but a lot of them center around the nature of a human being, the nature of a man, the nature of a woman, the nature of a marriage, the nature of... And what they all have in common is that you've taken Jesus and a resurrection human, a resurrected human, out of it. Right. And you've left it with only the protoplasm, only the body. Right. And if it's only the body, there's a lot you can say about it that's going to be very different. So this is something that we have to remind ourselves. We're no longer in the 1940s where everyone is basically a polite Christian, even if they're not. Right? They all pretend to be, and they all go to church, and they all... We're now... In the 21st century where the world is primarily secular with some Christians still here. And what we need to do is to remind the people that the difference is really in how we look at the love and eternity of the human being versus a secular protoplasm that has no future. Yes. And that, that governs And therefore, find your voice, as you were saying, because we need to have people saying, wait a minute, it's not that we're somehow bigoted. It's not somehow that we're somehow judging anybody. We're just saying that we have a different vision of human beings are. They're eternal. Yes. And I
2: know many people say, well, you know, that's the job of the bishops to come out and say that, or that's the job of the Pope to suit. And it is. And they have. (laughs) Yes. But in baptism, you were anointed with sacred chrism so that you'd participate in Christ oh, Jesus. you going to say it's
1: my responsibility too, aren't you?
2: It is. Oh, you, you were, at the moment of your baptism, you were called to be a prophet. <laughs> that that, that oh. wonderful little anointing <laughs> with sacred chrism was that you'd be in the ministry of Christ, priest, prophet, and king. I'm a convert. I even remember it. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yes, because realistically, if Irish say it, fine. People say, well, that's what he's supposed to say. But when people who are quote-unquote normal start speaking this... You have, in many ways, much more credibility than I do with your friends, with the people on the soccer
1: field. It's true. Uh, So your voice needs to be heard. They didn't have um, BHA and BHT. They used salt for preservatives back in the old days. And we're supposed to be that salt of the earth. Salt wasn't just to make a, a better flavor, though it helps. It was to keep things from rotting. Yes. And if we take away Christianity, the world rots. Yes. And that's something that the resurrected Christ came to stop. Yes. Bishop, I want to thank you again for being here to talk about the resurrected Jesus Christ. It was, I told you it'd be a fun hour. Yes. Didn't I? Yes. We have a few minutes left. If you would be so kind as to lead us in a word of prayer and then impart your blessing, I think we would all deeply appreciate sure. it. Sure. I'd be happy to.
2: And it's always great to be with you. So thanks, Rick, for that. Thank invitation. you very much, Bishop. So in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Lord, words cannot express the great love and gratitude that we have for you, that you have sent us your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Redeemer, to be our Savior, to open up eternal life to us through his death and resurrection. We ask that you give us the grace to strive to live as Christ would like, that we would be bold in proclaiming Christ risen from the dead, bold in proclaiming a vision of a human being which is rooted in heavenly order, that we would be bold in sharing our faith, that we'd be bold in inviting people to pray with us, to come to Mass with us, to strive for the salvation and hunger for the salvation of every person that we meet. Give us the Holy Spirit. Fill us with that courage that we may need to do just that. We ask that you watch over us during these days of Easter, that we truly be an Easter people filled with joy, filled with hope, filled with love, and filled with charity. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
1: Bishop, thank you very much. Happy Easter. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today has been Bishop Timothy Fryer, and if you would like to share this podcast with anybody else around, you can go to OCatholic.com. And at OCCatholic.com, if you go to the radio tab, you will find a number of the radio programs we produce here. The flagship radio program is, of course, Orange County Catholic Radio, and you can find this podcast there. I'm Rick Howick, your host. On behalf of all of us at Orange County Catholic Radio, Happy Easter, and we will see you again next week.
0: 365 Days of Praise, A Daily Guide Toward Transformation Through Praise by Deacon Steve Greco April 3, Luke Chapter 24, verse 16 But their eyes were prevented from recognizing Him. When we have sin in our lives or haven't been given the grace to behold the presence of the Lord, we are veiled from the spiritual truths that surround us. Have you ever reflected back on a particular circumstance and looked at it differently, more like God might see it? When that happens, know that God has lifted away part of your veil. Rejoice. Lord, open my eyes that I may see you more clearly. I praise you for being the source of my spiritual vision. When you pray, do you see with Christ's vision or your own? What clouds your vision of His truth and light? 365 Days of Praise, a daily guide toward transformation through praise by Deacon Steve Greco. 365 Days of Praise is available now on Amazon Books or at SpiritFilledHearts.org. That's SpiritFilledHearts.org.